So if you don't know, we're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. Today, the passage that I have is Philippians chapter three, verses four through 11. What I'd like to do is read the passage. I like to pray and then I like to preach. So let's look at this passage together here. Philippians three, starting in verse four. Remember, uh, Paul has just called out false teachers who are uh, uh, inserting themselves into the Philippi church community and teaching believers that they have to uh, come before they come to Jesus. They have to come through the Mosaic law, which means they have to be circumcised to um, uh, receive salvation. And Paul saying, that ain't true. It's just Jesus. Jesus is enough. He, he says, I don't put any confidence in what my flesh can achieve. He goes on to say this in verse four, although I have reason for confidence in the flesh. Oh yeah, I could. Cause I've done some things. I've got some accolades. I have some achievements. He's writing to correct the false teaching of the Judaizers. But then he goes on to say, you know, what's so unique about Paul being the one to write this is Paul has spent time as one of those guys. And so he says this, although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I got more. He's out circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law a Pharisee, regarding zeal, a persecuted the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, I'm blameless. I've done it. If you can achieve righteousness, if you can achieve holiness, you're looking at it, baby. I've done it. He goes, verse seven, but everything, he goes, but everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's like, man, I, man, I, I followed all the rules, but now I got this relationship and it's changed everything. The tone changes in the conversation. He goes, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them crap. I mean, dung, sorry. <laughs> that was the other version. <laughs> That's the MSG, the Mark Stephen Griffith version. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've considered it all dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God based on faith. He says this, Paul says this so good, convicting. My goal, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. It's good. Let's pray and then we'll preach it. Jesus, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would till the soil of every heart in the room. Help it be fertile ground to receive the seed of your truth. Let it take root in our heart. Let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't want to just hear your word. We want to live it out. 
we believe it's alive and it's active, it's transformative. And so uh, we pray that you would allow us to experience the transformation that comes from the power of hearing your word and applying your word. Give us the ability to apply it. Uh, we want to be more like you, Jesus. And I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, about the time I met Abigail, I was simultaneously flunking out of college. And so I had to move home. And when it moved into my parents' basement, really for the rest of our dating, uh, and so me and Abigail ended up getting married, and like I wasn't in an apartment before I married her, I just moved out of my parents' basement into an apartment with my wife, okay? And so when we moved into this apartment, we didn't have room for everything that I owned. Uh, so there was just a lot of things that got left at my parents' house when I met Abigail. And so we now have been married for six years and we're in, in our own house and we have more room. So occasionally my mom will just drop off a box of dung, okay, to, to my house that belongs to me. And so uh, a couple months back, my mom brought over this box. And as I opened up the box, I, I found that I had all these accolades in there uh, just from my own walkthrough, really, since, since I was little. And so I just wanted to share some of that with you today. It's not really a big deal. It's nothing that cool. <laughs> I'm going to start with my favorite, if that's okay. Take you back to 2004. Upwards basketball. Most Christ-like player of the league, baby. There was only one. There was only one, and it happened to be yours truly. There was some other stuff in here. I was looking at this. Um, you know, there's little little MVP award uh, for offense. I got this. Uh, there was this all-division uh, um Safety, defensive back in football, you know, not a big deal. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, people, we, we all win awards sometimes, you know, and just the sportsmanship award, which they only gave to one senior every year and for, you know, ethical excellence, academic excellence, athletic excellence, all that, whatever. It's no big deal, but just, just gets dropped off to my house. Now, for me to stand up here and to boast about these things that I've completed and I've accomplished would be absolutely silly, right? Except for the most Christ-like. That was legit. <laughs> <clears throat> but if we're not careful, I don't want to drop these things, but if we're not careful, we can very quickly begin to find our significance and our purpose in the things that we can achieve and the, in the things that we can perform. So it's not most Christ-like player in 2004 because there was only one. <laughs> but it's about being a leader who never shows signs of struggle and has a solution for everything. It's not offensive MVP, but it's about having the best body in, in your social circle. It's not the sportsmanship award, but it's being top seller in the company or employee of the month or teacher of the year. In the world, in culture, what you do, what you can achieve, how you perform is, is probably going to be what seals your significance. And so we're out here living for the approval of man, chasing trophies. And we, and we mentioned last week the Judaizers, there are these false teachers who have snuck their way into the church, who are using the law 
to put a yoke on the people, on the believers saying that you have to do this and you have to do this to be saved. And one of those things being circumcised and they're like, if, if, you, if you do this well enough, then you'll be good enough. And so they're, they're implementing a spiritual salvation that matches a secular salvation. Um, they're making religion about how well you perform, what you can do. And we know that our gospel leaves no room for us to boast. It's about one man's performance. It's about one man's achievement. And it's about Jesus. And this is what Paul is trying to clarify for the church. Listen, we... we, we any righteousness that we think that we can attain through our, through our human effort, it ain't enough. It's not enough to think that this could compare to what he's done and who he is, is just silly. Sorry, I'm going to move this over. It's not in the center here. Drive me crazy. We live in a culture. It's the cry of the culture is make the most of your life. Make your life count. Make, make the most of your life. And the cry of the kingdom is lose your life. And that's how you gain it. What's even more compelling, like I had mentioned, is Paul being the one to correct this teaching, being the one to call out these false teachers. There isn't a better guy positioned to do it because Paul spent time in that stream. Okay. And so as we read, he's like, he's like, He's like, I have reason, verse four, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If this righteousness could be achieved, if, 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 this, if we could become good enough, I mean, I, I'm a contender, for real. He, he's like, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll list them. He goes, circumcised on the eighth day. Got it. This fulfills the law, what we see in Leviticus 12, 3 concerning uh, purification after childbirth, that on the eighth day, a boy circumcised. Check, I, I, I got it. Circumcised. Um, then he goes on, uh, uh, of the nation of Israel. I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm a true heir to God's covenant. I mean, this is me. Not only am I of Jewish descent, but I'm actually from the bougie tribe of Benjamin too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we gave Israel first king. Um, you know, we, we, uh, if, you know, we were part of the Southern kingdom, you know, when the nation of Israel split to the Northern and the Southern Northern was just not good. Southern was better. And so they were part of the Southern matter of fact that the, when you look at the boundaries of the tribe of Benjamin, they encompassed Jerusalem and that's where the temple was built. So if there's a tribe to be from Benjamin, ain't a bad one. And he's like, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Then he goes on to say, he's like, bro. I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I ain't ashamed. He, uh, Hebrew born of Hebrews. Apparently, as I was studying, there's some Jewish people who are intimidated by the Greek culture and they want to be a part of it. They're ashamed of their Jewishness. And so we know that a lot of these Jewish boys would be circumcised on the eighth day after they were born. But apparently, based on my study, some are having a cosmetic surgery to make it appear as though they weren't circumcised so they can fit in with the Greeks better. Because there's public baths. Come on, we've never done anything like that. Wanted to fit in with culture. That's just crazy. 
right? We ain't all that different. Same devil, no new tricks. But Paul's saying, not me though. I'm a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. He goes on because some of this stuff, I guess the Hebrew of Hebrews, that's, that's a little bit of him, but some of the stuff was out of his control. He was born into it. Right, so he didn't really do anything to achieve it. It was just kind of a privilege that he was born into. So, he, so as, as he starts listening, he goes, but I got, I, I got more. I want to share these ones. He goes this. He goes, uh, he goes born a Hebrew. He goes, but regarding the law, I was a Pharisee, y'all. Pharisees, this is an elite Jew. This is, this is set apart. They devoted their whole life to following the law so they could follow it with precision. They were seen as better than everybody else. They were the standard. He goes, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. I mean, you can't be more zealous. You can't be more passionate than I was. I was out there trying to kill Christians. In fact, when I got transformed, when I met Jesus, when I was on the road to Damascus, I was on my way to persecute the church. Don't talk to me about zeal. Don't talk to me about righteousness. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. I follow that thing to a T. So, Y'all don't got room to talk to me. You want to talk about accolades? You want to talk about achievements? You want to talk about a righteousness you can earn? None of y'all got these. None of y'all are hanging with me. But as we read at the beginning of the message, he's not listing these things to boast about himself, although I'm sure he had no problem sharing with everybody how great he was. Appreciate the one laugh. You know, this is, this is no short list. And, and as Paul flaunts his impressive pedigree, he does so only to follow it up, only to set the stage to say, but all of it, he goes, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Paul's saying, y'all, when, when I met Jesus, when, when I met Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. And, and, and anything that I thought that I could do to get myself in, in right standing with God, uh, it just, when, when, when I compared it with what I would receive in Christ Jesus, it was laughable. Because, because what I received in Jesus and through Jesus how he forgave my sin, how he's imparted his righteousness to me is so far beyond how, you know, the word tells us in Ephesians that every spiritual blessing is received in Christ Jesus. Come on, there's, there's none of this human effort, white knuckling, try your hardest is ever gonna do for me what Jesus has done for me. Can never measure up. He continues to write in verse eight. More than that, this is Paul. I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is so beyond just the rules. This dead, dry, uh, uh, follow the rules. He's like, now I have this life-giving, intimate relationship with Jesus. There's, there's, I know God. I know God. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own from the law, like 
Not, not, a, not an earthly righteousness that I, that I tried to gain. He clarifies, he says, he, he goes, but I, now I have one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. If there's ever been a verse that has that chiropractic-like ability to realign our perspective on what it is to know Jesus and to follow him well, like this is, is definitely one of them. Because we got to consider Paul's life. We got to consider what he's been a part of, where he's lived. And so Paul spent time, Paul the Pharisee, we have Paul the Pharisee and we have Paul the Apostle, right? And, and so this Paul the Pharisee, he has, uh, he has had prestige. He has probably had wealth. He's had social significance. He's been revered not only by people, but uh, he finds himself as, as part of the elite. So he is a, a part of an elite group. Apparently these Pharisees, they can obey God better than anybody else. So he doesn't just have, you know, he's not just elite among the people and revered by people, but God must be extra proud of who he is. And, and so he uh, apparently, you know, he's not just your average Joseph part of the elite. I wonder about us. You ever spend time in an elite group of people? Were you popular? Were you pretty? Were you successful? Were you highly sought after? Was your skill above the rest? Did, did people crave companionship with you? Have you ever looked in the mirror wearing your earthly glory and thought, looks pretty good on me? <laughs> Paul has. And then for the last some 20 years, maybe even more, uh, now Paul's renounced the pursuit of earthly glory and prestige, and he died to those desires, and now he's the Apostle Paul transformed by Jesus Christ, and so he is carrying out the gospel work. He is spreading the gospel message. He is being obedient to the leading of the Spirit regardless of what it costs. But now this life is far less glamorous than what it once looked like because now he's being beaten. Now he's being whipped. Now he's put in prison. Now he's on trial. Now he has sleepless nights. Now he has shipwrecks trying to get from one place to the other. He's been in prison all for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. So when Paul himself says, I, I consider everything, everything, the good, bad, the ugly. I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We, we know what he's talking. When he, when he says, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. It's like, man, this is a, this is a, 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 a source that can be trusted. He's been on both sides of the fence. And here's what we have to lean into, to just aimlessly do for God. To, to just aimlessly check off the boxes is, is, is so different than our obedience to God as we hear from him, as we love him, as we worship him, as we desire to become more like him. We don't just want to aimlessly do for God. We want to live a life obedient to God. Paul says, I, I consider everything, say everything. everything. I, I consider everything to be a loss in view of knowing Jesus. Not, I consider everything to be a loss in view of doing for Jesus. 
Right, Pastor Jesse brought this up this week while we were in prayer. I thought it was so good. He stole it from his dad, so really Mr. Hall gets the credit, not Jesse, but just keeping him humble, that's all. He brought up John 14. And it says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is Jesus' words. He's speaking this. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. The ESV translate, I will manifest myself to him. As we remain obedient to him, as we seek him, as we grow to, lo to, to love him, and we can see that there's a correlation between our obedience to Jesus and our love for him. One of the greatest ways we can demonstrate our love for him is to be obedient to what he said, and as we do, he reveals himself to us. You want to know God? Do what he says. I've heard it put this way that obedience can manifest in our life in two ways. From a place of duty, where we do good works because we're supposed to. We don't want to appear as a poor, non-committed Christian. And so uh, it's just what we were taught. So we do good things. And our motive is to be a good person. And, and obedience becomes boring and burdensome. But then there's a place where obedience isn't out of duty, but it's from a place of devotion where it's understood that Jesus has invited us into a relationship with him. And, and the things that he guides, leads, and calls us into are good for us, they're good for others, and, and they please him. As I've matured spiritually, I've learned, to, I've, I've learned to not dread obedience, to not be burdened by obedience, but I've learned to love obedience because I understand that God's there, that he's in it. Not perfect figuring it out, have the war with my own flesh. But, but I don't dread when I see that he sets the boundaries and he, I, I've learned to love those things because I understand that they're for his glory and they're for my good. He, he's a good father who can be trusted. And I know ultimately that in my obedience, I will experience more of God. What's Jesus is communicating in John 14 uh, and that's what Jesus is communicating in John 14 when he uh, said, I'll reveal myself to the one who obeys me. Paul demonstrates what it looks like to love Jesus more than our achievement, more than our accolades, more than our comfort, more than our rapport, more than our status. He literally says, all of that in comparison to knowing Christ is crap. I've suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul says, what I receive from Jesus is far better than what I could ever attain on my own without him. My effort wasn't the thing that transformed my heart. My effort wasn't the thing that got my sins forgiven. Uh, my effort alone will never be sufficient, even at its peak. Only Christ can do through faith in us, through us, and for us. And so, um, does this mean, okay, I consider everything else to be a loss in view of knowing Christ. I consider everything else to be dung. Uh, so does that mean, <clears throat> don't start the business, 
uh, does that mean don't have a healthy routine to stay fit? Does that mean neglect our daily responsibilities? Not at all. And in fact, as we grow in our relationship and intimacy with Jesus, I think we'll experience, it's very likely that we'll experience favor with God and favor with people. Well, we'll I, I, and we see this in Paul, even yes, he ends up in prison cells. So he, he, he ends up persecuted, but we also see where he's appointed to be in rooms that he never should have been in, where he finds himself positioned to speak with governors right? So, so we just may, as we follow Jesus, as we submit ourselves to him, as it becomes about knowing him above all else, I wouldn't be surprised if you get a couple of these along the way. I wouldn't be surprised. We just may end up in places we never thought we might. Our, our voice may hold weight in ways we never thought it would. Our influence may reach wider than we ever thought because God wants to reach the world through his sons and daughters. God wants to use you. And, and, and he's not confined in how that looks. You might cut hair and you can be a light with the scissors in your hand. You might sell houses and you can be a light from that position. You might be in a courtroom and make kingdom impact from that position. All Paul is trying to emphasize is that the created can't worship the created. Creation needs to worship its creator, right? And so have your goals. Go, go, you know, but it's, but it's, but those things are birthed out of our pursuit of him, out of us hearing from him, out of us obeying, honoring, glorifying him, us responding to the vision that he places in our heart. It's about knowing Jesus. And so our goal very well should become the same goal that Paul has that he lists in verse 10, where he says, my goal is to know him. Not, uh, yeah. oh yeah, I forgot to, I forgot to, I forgot to pray. I'll be right back. I forgot to pray. Um, he says, my goal is to know him. Worship team, you can come and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, Paul, this isn't just words. Where Paul's saying, my goal is to know him man, man, and, and, and to follow him, whether that's you know, through the good and through the bad. I, I, I want to know his sufferings. If that's where I, I grow in my relationship with him, I want to I follow him. I want to be, be intimate with him. And his life preaches that. We know this is more than just words. And so I think about these trophies, man. I think about what they might represent. And would our time, talent, and treasure, if it could talk, would it tell us that we've been chasing trophies or that we've been seeking Jesus. Paul says, my goal is to know him. And you might say your goal is to know him, but what would your actions tell us? What would my actions tell y'all? Because sometimes, man, I love to be the only one who gets it. Sometimes I love the little pat on the back. 
sometimes this is sometimes what, what motivates me to get up and get out of the bed, what, 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 what makes me feel inspired, what I'm most passionate about, what's getting my time, what's getting my talent, what, what I'm giving to, is really about me and it's about my glory. I'm not saying don't go out and be excellent. I'm not saying don't go out and work hard. I'm just saying that this is all great, but this doesn't define me. This isn't where my significance is found. The, the thing that I'm most passionate about, the thing that I think about all day when I get up out of bed is Jesus I want to know you, Lord. Whatever you want to do in me, if it's this, that's great. If, if it's not, that's great. If it's in the dark, if it's in the light, if people know, if they don't know, it's all gravy. I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll follow you, but I just, I just want you. I want to know you. I want to follow your voice. I want to hear from you. I understand who you are. I understand who I'm are. I understand what I receive in you, and it's none of this can give me that. It's you. We, we can go back to Genesis. From the beginning of the Bible, you know what God's been asking humanity? Where are you? It was, what did you do? What did you do? It's, where are you? God's asking humanity, where are you? Paul says, my goal is, is I want to know him. God wants to know you. God wants to know you. But I just wonder, are, are, we, are we busy sewing fig leaves together of achievement to cover ourselves up, to make everybody think that maybe we are significant, that maybe our life does matter, that maybe we, I, I don't know, that maybe we do fit, that maybe we are good enough, that where are you? Are we too busy sewing fig leaves of achievement and man's approval together? If, if I had to guess, I think a lot of the church finds themselves where we're like kind of seeking Jesus, but most passionate about chasing trophies. For what? Hoping our life will matter, hoping our life will measure up, chasing a sense of fulfillment, hoping we'll be acceptable in the world and acceptable in God's sight. And, and we just got to come to the realization that God loves your effort, but your effort will never accomplish for you what knowing Jesus will. And so my goal, Paul says, and so my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection that if being united with him means rejection from the world, it's my joy to identify not just the glorious things about Christ, but his suffering. Paul's saying that if, it's, if this is all a part of the Christian life, that the sufferings, the glory, the good, the bad, the ugly, if this is a part of the journey that concludes with eternity with you, then I will delight myself in the good and in the bad, knowing you're working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Paul's like, I, I want to know the power of his resurrection. 
Because of his resurrection, he imparts his spirit. He imparts life. He imparts gifts. He imparts anointing to us so, so we can be a part of the power of his resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me and it's at work in you. Then he says, I, I want fellowship with his sufferings. If he was rejected by the world, I'm not going to crumble when I am too. This is a part of following Jesus, but I live for something beyond myself. I mean, the question is, we can bring the lights down. Is our goal to know him? Like, when people ask you, what's your goals? What's your goals? It's the first thing that drips into our heart. What, what would our actions say? What, what would our life say? Is our goal to know him? Paul says, my goal, as he writes from a prison cell, my goal is to know him. And what we'll see is one of the most powerful ways to experience intimacy with Jesus is through obedience. That's what this verse in John is telling us. That, that, it's, it's, it, that as, we, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Not, not, but not just our works, it's our, it's our thoughts, it's our, it's our heart. It's the, as, we, as we draw near to him, we experience more of him. It's how we get to know him. Do, do you know him? Is, is your goal to know him? Now to be obedient to everything he said, that might mean you lose some friends. That might mean we ain't popular in school anymore, y'all. That might mean that they stop inviting you to the parties. That might mean that you need to switch jobs and make less money because that's what he told you to do. Obedience. But it's where we experience him. It's where we get to know. It's how we hear him. He might tell you, hey, we got to put that down. Really? Hey, we got to pick that up. But, but we get to know him. But we get to know him. Are we willing to follow at any cost knowing that he's the reward? Content to know he's the reward. Or do we want to keep chasing trophies? So mom can come drop it off at your house when you're 30. Do you know him? 